This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Happy Friday, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend to everyone who is not mad about The Little Mermaid being black. I'm so sick of these folks. It's been a week now, people. Let it go. Somebody sent me a link to this page. It was Christians Against Black Little Mermaid. They had to change it to Christians Against Hocus Pocus 2 because so many people had reported the page. But I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Like, you ain't got nothing better to do than create an entire Facebook group Mad about the color of a half-fish woman. Really, people? Really? I'm in excellent spirits today. I went to see The Woman King last night. I won't hold you in suspense. It was really good. I'm not going to give any spoilers. I went in completely blind for the film. All I'd seen was the trailer. I had a bunch of friends, journalist types, who had seen screeners of it, and they were raving about it. And I was like, is it that good? And they were like, really, it's that good. Like, it's, it's Black Panther-level good. Which I was like, I saw Black Panther in the theater like four or five times. It's that good. Folks warned me that it was at least a two viewing film. And I was like, really? So I was like, well, I'll see. You know, I'm always a little skeptical. I used to give Viola Davis 100%. Like if Viola's in it, then it must be amazing. But you know, the Michelle Obama thing threw me off. It was good, y'all. And it was good despite some things that were going on in the theater. The, The really good theater here is in a mall. It's on the top floor. And they had an activation to celebrate the woman king. They had built a Dahomey village in the entrance of the movie theater. So there were huts and and drummers and this one guy, I posted the video on my Instagram, dancing, getting his whole life. He was giving it up like it was Baltimore House. I was deeply impressed. I also was like the only person impressed. Like I pulled out my camera to record and everyone around me was just like not paying attention. And I was like, do you see what's happening here? Not that people are dancing in the street every day in Ghana, but you know, every time there's a ceremony, you know, there's a, there's some dancing. People dancing, getting their whole life is, you know, it's like a 40 degree day in the U.S., not here. It's like an 80 degree day here. Nobody gets excited about 80 degrees. Nobody's depressed about 80 degrees. It's just, you know. 80 degrees. It's literally 81 degrees every single day here. Every single day since I've been here. Kind of like LA. LA would also be like 81 degrees for months at a time. Like every single day. Like it might go up to 83. It might go down to 76. At least LA it doesn't rain. When it rains here, it's like torrential downpours. The sky opens up and like all the water falls out at once. That's not the point. The point is, went to the theater. Tons of people. It was for an early screening because the film just came out worldwide today on Friday. So was with a couple friends. We stood in line to get popcorn. And I haven't been to the theater since before COVID. All the other films that have come out, I just waited till they came on one of the streamers. I've not been to the theater in, oh my God, over two years. And I used to love going to the theater. Like I like the experience. I, I love the big bin of extra buttery popcorn. 
my mom and I have a whole system. Of, we're like, can you fill it up for half? And then we go put all the butter and salt in the middle. Then we finish it and go like re-butter and re-salt. Like it's a thing. It's kind of like a ritual. Like even when like I'm in a good mood and my mom is behaving well, I'll just randomly stop by the theater and pick up a bucket of popcorn for her just as like a I love you. She likes it more than she likes flowers. So I have my mind all set for this buttery popcorn, like back in the theater, going to watch this big action adventure on the big screen with black women kicking ass. I was really excited. So we get to the front of the line and I say to my friend, I want a big bucket full of butter and I don't even want to share something like that. She was like, ooh, about that. About what? And she was like, there's no butter. They're out of butter at, at the theater? And she was like, no, 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 they're not out of butter. She's like, they don't do buttery popcorn. Excuse me? No, they do sweet or they do salty. What do you mean sweet? Sugar. It's, it's sugar popcorn. They put sugar on popcorn? Yeah, sugar popcorn. What? My mind was blown. And then I was like, well, I don't want a big bucket of that. And she was like, well, it only comes in one size. What? Like those big tins of popcorn, like it, it, it's some American shit. No one else is as gluttonous as us. They eat normal portions of food. And I was like, oh, uh, oh. So she was like, try it. Try the sugar. See, see how it is. I guess. I tried the sugar. It was a little thing of popcorn. I ate the whole thing. It wasn't bad. It tastes like sugar on popcorn. There, there's no way around it. It was, it was, it was all right. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't order it again. If I'm going to go for sugar, I'm just going to have peanut M&Ms. I'm not doing sugar on popcorn again. And I think I'm going to the grocery store again later today because there's some things I need to pick up. Last time I was there, they had a ton of Butter Lovers popcorn microwave. So I was like, I think I'm going to get some Butter Lovers microwave popcorn and just, you know, clog up my arteries just for kicks. Because I was like, this is like, what do you what do you mean? Like, there's no there's no butter popcorn. So we get into the theater and as soon as we sit down, it starts like no previews. Again, we're going to an early screening. So that might be why there were no previews. And I was shocked that it started on time. I wasn't sure how that was going to go because notoriously, notoriously, our, our African cousins don't start on time. Like there's CP time and then there's Caribbean time and then there's African time. African time is, is severely delayed. So you never really know what time something's going to start. Or if you show up on time, will you be the only person there? I didn't know if that operated the same way for movies since like it's a formally set thing. But we sat down and literally the movie started two minutes after we got in our seats. So remember I told you about the activation that was happening in the lobby that was, you know, the drummers and the music and the dancer and, and all of that. That kept going throughout the movie. You know, how sometimes the sound will be on, on death in a movie theater. Like it's it's really, really loud. It wasn't. And then, and then there's this music and these drummers coming from the other side of the theater. I was like, the theater is not soundproof? It wasn't. So I didn't have problems hearing the film. But you know how you want to get engrossed in something? It was difficult to do hearing the sound coming from outside the theater. I was pleased with everything about the film. I really enjoyed the film. I'm trying really hard not to give any details away. I will be shocked if Viola does not get an Oscar nod for this. I'll be shocked if the film does not get an Oscar nod. I thought it was on par with Black Panther and not just because it was set in Africa, but because it's a big, epic film, well told, and it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. It's beautifully directed. The costumes, the art design, everything just looks really 
beautiful. Um, it has some twists and turns in the narrative that I didn't see coming. I will say this. There's been a lot of conversation about the Dahomey tribe and these warriors because notoriously that tribe was involved in the slave trade, the selling of Africans to white folk to take in ships bound for everybody always says America, but primarily Brazil because they have more black people outside of Africa than any other country, but also the Caribbean and also the U.S. The ships didn't just go to, you know, Virginia, South Carolina, Savannah. They went other places, too, which I think sometimes as Americans, we forget that we ain't the only people in the diaspora. But the sale of Africans, particularly prisoners of war and also family members, is a big plot point in the film. Because I know a lot of people were like, I'm not going to see this film. It's glorifying human traffickers. It's glorifying Africans who were involved in the slave trade. It doesn't. It doesn't. Or it ignores Africans who were involved in the slave trade. That was a big criticism, too. It doesn't. It's literally a huge plot point throughout the film. And there are constant references made of people being sold, including people's moms. They talk about the impact of people being sold on Africans, which I shouldn't say nobody ever talks about. I'll say it never comes up in America. We talk about people being sold downriver and we often think about the impact of the people who were sold coming to America. We think about those people. We think about the hardships they faced when they got to America, but we never think about how does that impact the people on the continent? Like that's, that's some real shit. Remember the museum that I went to, the one I can't pronounce the name of, which, which had all the, um, the sculptures of, of the heads. We talked about that on a previous episode, but that, that's essentially acknowledging, you know, the moms, the children, the fathers, the brothers, the cousins, the uncles, nieces, nephews, all of those things, aunties who were stolen and the impact that had on the people left behind. It's a tragedy on many continents. I know often in the Americas, when we speak about this, the sale of Africans in Africa, we talk about white folks coming in. We talk about African selling. But then there's, you know, also the families that were impacted by that as well. Like it's a it was a global tragedy and not just on our side of the Atlantic. But the but the film addresses it. And I thought they addressed it well. I'm glad they didn't overlook it. I thought I think that would have been a misstep, but it was covered in detail thoroughly. And again, is a central point throughout the film. But really, really good. Like the action scenes. Um, I don't know if anybody else gets this. Like I get secondhand embarrassment. I also get secondhand joy. So like last week when I was talking about Cheryl Lee Ralph and I kept choking up and was talking about how like I boohooed and was about to be dehydrated over her winning her Emmy, her and Quinta as well, because that's Quinta's first Emmy. This empath thing is some serious shit. I also get secondhand adrenaline. So watching these fight scenes, they're giving us some good gladiator Game of Thrones level conflict. There are sword fights. There's ass kicking. There are guns. There are stabbings. They're flipping people over. You can see the, the physical strength of the actors. No one's being killed, obviously. When they hit, they hitting something with some goddamn strength. You can see the physical exertion. Like I wanted to just like rip up something. I wanted to kick something. I was like, I need a, like a kickboxing class. I need to go flip a tire or push a sled. I wish I had a sled to push. I was in the best physical shape of my entire life. Remember I was like pushing a sled for like seven months. My legs felt like steel. 
I felt like I could like kick kangaroos. I need to find a sled in Ghana. I found a place to flip tires. Actually walking distance from my house. But I'm like, well, do you have a sled? Does anybody have a sled? I want to push a sled. But it was really, really good. And I think everyone should go see it. I'm definitely going to see it a second time. There's one particular part of the movie that I was just in despair, like pure despair. Like I was distraught. I just got so sucked into the storyline. It's the equivalent of, and I'm not giving anything away from the film. It's the equivalent of when Killmonger, quote and quote and unquote, kills T'Challa and he goes over the edge of the waterfall. The whole audience was in despair. It wasn't just me. Like, but literally I had my hands over my head. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about when you see it, but you have to go see it. There's so much going on this week. There's good black news. Nick Cannon, he just had his ninth child. This one was with a clearly brown woman. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's like super brown. You know, the rest of them are kind of like ambiguously of color. You're not really sure what their race or ethnicity is. I do believe babies are blessings. So congratulations to Nick Cannon on his ninth child. He wrote this whole Instagram screed about like leaving the mother alone and letting her celebrate this moment and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, if you think there's something wrong with me, then continue to pray for me. Whatever. Sure. I've talked about Nick Cannon and this like tribe of children that he's trying to create on his own. I have nothing more to say about it. I will add that he does have two more children on the way. So this is the second time at least that he's had three women pregnant at the same time. I just, okay. And other good black news. I saw Diddy give a shout out to Carisha. I did a whole segment when she went to, was the BET Awards, the MTV Awards? Where did Diddy get a Lifetime Achievement Award? And she was sitting in the audience with that big red sign. And he didn't acknowledge her from the stage. He acknowledged her a couple days later on Instagram. I think after people called him out about it, then he said it was the nicest thing that anybody, I think he said the nicest or the most special thing anybody had ever done for him. But Carisha just got a BET Hip Hop Award nomination for Best Hip Hop Platform. I'm going to go ahead and guess that's for her podcast, which at one point was like number one on Spotify. Carisha, please. Which good for her. But he posted a picture of himself and Carisha on the set of her podcast. And it's a really good picture. His face is in the shadows and her face is in the light and she's leaning into him. She's got a big smile on her face. She looks very, very pretty and very, very happy. I think it's also worth noting that her show is produced by Diddy. So he gets a cut of whatever she's doing to promote her and make her successful at this show. Also puts money in his pocket. I'm just noting it because it matters. But he did do a shout out to her on Instagram, which I thought was very sweet. So I want to acknowledge it because I criticized him for not saying anything last time. I want to be balanced. But he said, quote, proud of you. And he tagged her. Shawty Wap on your BET Hip Hop Award nomination for best hip hop platform. You out here fucking shit up. Love. He didn't say love Diddy. He just said love. Maybe he said love, love. Because it says love and then there's a black heart. Which I think that would be him. Because he's black and he's, you know, his name is love. Although his Twitter name is Diddy. But I think he changed his name to love. But I think he actually might be saying love, love. I think there might be an acknowledgement of, of love there. And then he tagged at Revolt TV. And he said, it says in all caps, I told you. And then a yellow emoji blowing a kiss. I think this is the most romantic we've ever seen, Diddy. I mean, to a person who's alive. 
He's romantic in song. He's romantic to Kim Porter after she passed. I think this might be the most public expression of love to a living person that he didn't, you know, father that we've ever seen. Good for him. Good for Carisha. I just like that he acknowledged her because I thought her standing up there with that sign, you know, you express your love in different ways. Like, it's not my thing. I don't think I would have a sign, but, you know, that's how she felt the need to, to love. I don't have a problem with the expression. I just want some reciprocity. That's all I said. That's all I said from the beginning. You want to show some love? Wonderful. Show the love. Reciprocity. Acknowledge the lady for showing the love. That's it. You want more love? It could be a cycle of love. She shows love. You show love back. She feels more love. She shows more love. You feel more love. You show more love. Not just one person show love. I'm saying she because we're talking about a specific incident. But not just one person. Male, female, they, them, anybody show love. Then you want the person that you're showing love to to show the love back. That's all. Oh, speaking of love. This isn't romantic love, but it's love nonetheless. And a beautiful expression of it at that. Last week's episode, I talked about Cheryl Lee Ralph winning and I talked about when she won that she was stunned and she couldn't get out her seat. And I said her co-star, the guy, and I called him the guy from Everybody Loves Chris. And I was like, I don't know his name, but everybody knows who I'm talking about and did. His name is Will Tyler James. And I want to specifically acknowledge him because he put this beautiful post on Instagram And a bunch of people shared and tagged me in it. I told you he got, he helped Cheryl Lee Ralph, you know, compose herself and get up from her chair. And then he got her started on her walk to the stage. Like it was, it was a process because she was in shock. But he wrote this on uh, Instagram and it was a picture of, of, of him holding Cheryl Lee Ralph's hand and escorting her to the stage. And then this photo capture, he looks like he about to cry. She looks like she about to cry. Are they just two people in all of their feelings? Moving forward, he literally is clasping her hand and holding it up and they are in forward motion. It's a really beautiful image. But he wrote this on Instagram. He says, no matter how old or grown we get, never forget those who paved the road that you have the privilege of walking on today. And if the time comes and you so happen to have the honor, walk them down that same road to their flowers. This moment. Ah. I get secondhand love too. This moment is one of the greatest honors of my career. And I will forever shed a tear every time I come across it. All love for Queen Mother, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Hashtag Emmys 22. The man was honored to to support, literally support, emotionally and physically, an iconic black woman as she's being honored and celebrated. He didn't need to be honored and celebrated to feel honored. He was fine supporting an iconic black woman who's put in a good 40 years into this industry. She's been working quantity and quality before he was born. And he was honored to support her. It's a really beautiful picture. I'll post it on my Instagram page when I advertise um, this episode of the podcast so you can see exactly what I'm speaking about. But it really just, it touched me. I like to see people who do the work and keep going for the love of the craft because it wasn't to be acknowledged. If it was about acknowledgement, she would have stopped a long time ago. But keep going and and do the work well, even without the acknowledgement that they deserve. Unfortunately, that's it for our good black news this week. The rest of this week is, um, oh, that's not true. I'm sorry. I have one more thing. Viola M.F. Davis on the cover of Brazilian L. If you have not seen it, 
I'll post some pictures. I did screenshots last night. My friend posted it. I gasped when I saw the pictures. She looks so fucking good. I've seen her on the cover of a couple other publications. There was one that did the whole cast of the, of the Woman King, the whole leading cast. It was so bad, I don't even want to name the publication. The cast deserved so much better than that. The cast didn't get it, but Viola did on the cover of Brazilian L. She looks fucking amazing. I saw it and was like, oh, this is fashion. I was like, this is an artiste. I love it when a good photographer and a good subject and a good stylist and some good hair, when everybody all comes together and they are working in tandem, you could just see it. These photos are freaking amazing. They're art. I got to find somebody to get me all four copies of this Brazilian Vogue. Because whatever house I get after this one, which, oh my God, I found a condo. I found it. I found the condo that I want. Like the condo that in my head I've been dreaming about, I found it. And it's within budget. I was like, oh my God. I sent off an email yesterday. It's still in development. If it's available, I'm taking it. Just that simple. I'm, oh my God, I'm so excited. But in that condo, on my coffee table, I want all four covers of Viola Davis looking like MF Viola Davis. Oh my God, wait till you see the pictures. Amazing, amazing. Oh, I guess this also counts as good black news. So at the Emmys last week, I mentioned this on last week's episode too. Quinta Brunson gets her Emmy and Jimmy Kimmel is on stage. He's doing a bit. The bit involves him laying on the floor and he stuck to the bit even as Quinta came up again to accept her first Emmy. He stayed on the floor the whole time. I didn't even realize he was there initially. I saw him down there, but the camera zooms into Quinta and you can't see, thankfully, Jimmy on the floor. But quite a big deal was made of him being on the floor. And I think rightfully so, because people were like, this is this black woman's big moment. She is winning her first Emmy. Your dumbass is down there on the floor as a distraction. You should have got your ass up. Cheryl Lee Ralph said as much. Cheryl Lee Ralph said of, of, of Kimmel's nonsense, she said, quote, I was absolutely confused. I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, I wish that man would get up off the ground. And then I realized it was Jimmy Kimmel. She said, ooh, the disrespect. She said, I told him too, to his face. He understood. I'm reading this from the New York Post. They said uh, Kimmel's stunt was slammed online. They said some fans accused him of white privilege and arguably ruining Brunson's big moment. I don't think her moment was ruined. I think he looked like an asshole. I think he was a distraction, but I don't think her moment was ruined, thankfully, because she handled it well. Well, she shouldn't have had to do that. She should have just been allowed to be in her moment undistracted and accept her award instead of, you know, thinking about this white man laying on the goddamn floor next to her being a big embarrassment to himself, not to her, but to himself. In fairness, I don't know if this is fairness. I don't want to say that. The New York Post says that Brunson didn't mind his antics. I find that hard to believe. She told the press, quote, Jimmy gave me my first big late night spot and was one of the first people to see Abbott. He Instagram messaged me that he saw this comedy and thought it was one of the greatest comedies of all time. So she's taken the high road and she's handled this situation with, with grace and a bit of deference even. I know if it happened to me, I would be pissed. It wouldn't surprise me if she is. 
and publicly she's just, you know, brushing it off. People turn on black women in the public eye very quickly. Kimmel is a beloved white guy. I mean, even I like Kimmel. I think this was dumb as fuck. And I think her lashing out at him probably wouldn't end well for her. There's a possibility that people would turn on her if she showed that she was upset. She might be labeled as an angry black woman or something, which you don't have to actually be angry to be labeled an angry black woman. And you can actually be angry about some really fucked up thing that happened. And everyone knows the fucked up thing that happened. Jada, to be labeled an angry black woman. Michelle, it happens all the time. So I think she's taking the high road. And it's entirely possible that she actually doesn't feel any kind of ways that she feels totally good about it. And that this is just, you know, me projecting how I would feel. I want to see the group chat with the family and friends. I don't know that she's that gracious in that situation. Maybe she could be one of them Tabitha type people or the type of person we thought Omarion was before we found out he was petty as shit. Like, well, I don't feel no ways about it. Like, it's possible. It's possible. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible. In fairness, Jimmy Kimmel did have Quinta on his show um, and he apologized to Quinta and they had a bit on his set where he was doing his opening monologue and she came out and interrupted him and finished um, thanking the people that she didn't get a chance to in her Emmy speech when she was, you know, distracted by him laying on the goddamn floor. It was a really cute moment. She came out of her Emmy once again and um, she looked wonderful. She had this pink sequins get up. It was giving me very Diana Ross and the Supremes. Great color on her. So I'm reading this on CNN Entertainment. They said Jimmy Kimball did take some time during Quinta Brunson's appearance on his late night talk show Wednesday to apologize for what he called, quote, a dumb comedy bit that some viewers felt took away from her Emmy victory on Monday. Kimmel said to Brunson, people said I stole your moment and maybe I did. And I'm very sorry if I did do that. I'm sorry. I did do that, actually. And also the last thing I would ever want to do is upset you because I think so much of you. I think you know that. I hope you know that. Brunson told Kimmel that what she remembered most about the moment was her joy, not any ill feelings about him lying on the floor during her acceptance speech for outstanding writing in a comedy series. And she says, well, Jimmy, let me just say thank you. It's very kind of you to say that. I honestly was in such a moment of just having a good time. Like I won my first Emmy. First. (laughs) I won my first Emmy. I was up there happy and I was wrapped up in the moment and just having a good time. She also joked after the Emmys, the press asked her if she was upset with him. And she said, quote, tomorrow, maybe I'll be mad at him. I'm going to do his show on Wednesday. So I might punch him in the face. She was mad. (laughs) I'm glad he apologized and made it up to her as as best that he could. Jimmy Kimmel's show is very popular, but it's not the Emmy stage. It is not the um, it is not the moment of, of winning your first, as she pointed out, Emmy. But it is a nice makeup. And I'm glad, you know, he heard people, including apparently Cheryl Lee Ralph, tell him he was wrong and received that and did the right thing. So. The rest of this episode is just people like just just beefing. Like a lot of people were upset this week. Um, Ray J is upset with Kim Kardashian. I swore I wasn't going to talk about this in the car on the way to the film last night. Ray J and Kim came up. I said I refused to talk about it on the podcast. And they were like, but you must talk about it because like, you know, it's a thing. 
And I was like, Ray J has been spilling all this tea. And to be fair to Ray J, this isn't like an Irv Gotti situation where he just popped up one day and was like, let me tell all this like old business for no reason. Chris Jenner went on some show and took a lie detector test to prove, quote and unquote, that she had no involvement in Kim's sex tape. The Kardashians have always said that Kim's tape was leaked and and they made the most of a bad situation because the tape was already out there. We might as well just figure out a way to win off of it because there's nothing we can do about it being out there. It's always been heavily implied. If Kim didn't have anything to do with it and Chris didn't have anything to do with it, the question remains, how did the tape get leaked? And the obvious answer is Ray J. So whenever they deny anything to do with the tape, it always makes Ray J look bad. Now, Ray J, I think just for clarity, is a trash ass human. Literally two weeks ago, there was a clip of him. He's on that show on VH1, Love and Hip Hop, I think. I've never watched an episode after, I think, the first season. Ray J and his children's mother, I think they have two children together, are arguing because they're splitting up. And he's mad that they're still legally married, but she's openly dating other people. And she's like, yeah, like we're, I'm dating other people. And you got a lot of nerve because we're separated because you were cheating. And Ray J was like, cheating on who? And she was like, you were cheating on me, your wife. And he was like, I was just fucking prostitutes. That don't count. What? So this is the level of person that you're dealing with to talk about Ray J. Ray J has to have some inkling that everyone thinks that he's a trash ass human. However, however, and I kind of feel him on this. He was like, you could think I'm a trash ass human for things that I actually did. But for shit that I didn't do, don't think I'm trash because of that. Like there's levels to my trash. And Ray J wants everyone to know that he absolutely did not go leak a sex tape with his then girlfriend at the time. Kim was apparently somebody he really cared about. They were in a relationship for a while. He was like, I'm not that dude. I wouldn't just go leak the tape. So he did this 45 minute Instagram live with receipts on receipts. Like this man went and pulled contracts from damn near 20 years ago, pulled love letters that Kim had written him and was like, please compare the handwriting. So the biggest bombshells for some, he was like, Kim absolutely was involved in the sale of this tape. Please see her handwriting on the contract. Please compare it to the love note that she sent me so you could do a handwriting analysis. And further, Chris orchestrated the whole sale. And further, and further, yes, there was a sex tape. Chris was like, that was not good enough. Record another one. He said, Chris, Kim's mother, just so we're all clear, Chris watched one tape and then watched the other tape and was like, okay, let's go with the first one because I think that's better. Kim looks better in this one. And that's the tape that went out. So Ray J was like, I didn't leak this tape. This was them. They came up with the idea to leak the tape. I was the last person to sign the contract, just FYI. So the conversation in the car was like, you have to talk about this because this is big bombshell information. And I was like, one, I give two shits about Ray J, Kim K, or her mom. I just, I don't care. I'm interested in the conniving way of Kris Jenner's mind. I mean, this woman has made billions for her family with her evil genius mind. Kim is a billionaire. Kylie's 900 million. Chloe's 50, 60. What's the, what's the model that don't want nothing to do with them? She's worth like a good two, 300. There's a meme going around of like the worth of all of them. I mean, Chris is like a hundred million. I think Chloe, who tries so hard to be famous, God bless her. She tries so hard. She's the least paid of all of them. And she's like worth 50 mil. 
And Chris gets a minimum 10% cut of all of that. The woman is a business genius. That said, nothing about Ray J's revelations shocked me. That Kim participated in putting out the tape? Yeah, I thought we established that years ago. I mean, no proof, but we all thought it, right? That Chris had something to do with the tape coming out? Yeah. That there was a second tape shot that Chris actually watched her daughter have sex? We didn't know that, but is it shocking? I wasn't shocked. I was like, yeah, that sounds like some shit Chris would do. The woman has no bottom. Chris is like the white female Don King. As long as there's money involved, she gonna get it. Moral scruples, ethics, lines that can't be crossed do not exist. Chris is the one that had Kim up in Playboy. Did your mom also encourage you to make a second sex tape and then also watched it? To compare? It's horrendous, yes, but surprising. I wish you could see my face right now. This is one of the few times that I wish I was actually doing video for the podcast. Nothing shocks me when it comes to this woman. But they were like, you have to talk about it. Like, they were like, I don't think people outside like media circles really thought about that. And I was like, who doesn't think Chris is an evil genius mastermind who would do anything for a buck? I'm not shocked. Last but not least, in, in, in this season of beef, apparently, I was like, is Mercury in retrograde? It is. Jesse, Jesse Williams. Jesse from Grey's Anatomy. Jesse with the big dick. <laughs> he and Aaron were married for some time. They have two children together. They got a divorce. They've been in a big custody battle over these children for years. Aaron released a statement the other day. Literally, I think yesterday. They made it to page six. She's upset about his parenting. She put up this Instagram post. And at the end of the post, she said, hashtag, like, I'm tired of being quiet. And I was like, when have you been quiet? Because I feel like this is all played out in the media for, for years. So the issue this time, Erin gets on Instagram and she, she asked, quote, is it good for the health and wellness of a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old to be taken out of school on a regular basis to fly cross-country overnight on a red-eye to be on the ground for two days? Is it reasonable for them to return dazed and confused and then be expected to pick right up and survive at school the rest of the week? I don't think so. Neither do any of the parents who actually parent on a routine basis. There's a name for the condition of an adult who expects their children to indulge, care, give, and service that adult's desires at the children's expense. She concluded her post, hashtag receipt season. Hashtag, I have stayed quiet for far too long. Ma'am, 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 ma'am. When have you been quiet? I feel like I have been in court with y'all every day. So much of this drama has been in the press. All of y'all issues, I feel like I know. I know how much he was making on Grey's Anatomy. I knew when he quit his job. I knew when your child support payments went from 40000 a month to like 1600 I know way too much about the inner workings of y'all's divorce, marriage, ongoing custody battles for five years. Hashtag I've stayed quiet too long. Have you? Look, a couple things. I want the best for Aaron. I want the best for Jesse. I want the best for the children. I don't know these people. I just don't like to see people living in constant conflict and chaos. I lived a bit of it and without the child custody issues. And I know what a hell it is to exist that way. 
that way. I, I intentionally say exist because what it is is not living. It's a terrible way to exist. Aaron, girl, I know you're mad. Even if you've completely moved on from him, I know somebody she dated long term after Jesse. So the idea that like she's still caught up in him and digmatized and all that, um, I don't think that aspect is true. I think she actually genuinely is like stressed out about the money situation and the kids situation. What she is describing as a seven and an eight year old taking red eyes back and forth during the school year, um, a flight from from L.A. to New York where Jesse's working on Broadway. That's at least a five hour flight. That's a lot on an adult. The idea of a seven and eight year old back and forth on red eyes on a regular basis is crazy. I get it. This is some shit that needs to be worked out in court. Like, I understand that she's frustrated. I understand that she's venting. She may feel like she has no other avenues. And so she has to put this stuff online. I promise you, I promise you that inviting the world into your your group chat does nothing. The most that anybody who is not Jesse or a judge can do is have the same commentary that I'm offering now that makes absolutely no difference. And whether your children still have to get on a red eye or not. I could just offer commentary about something that you've gone ahead and shared with the public. I can't do anything for you and neither can anyone else on social media. Like it's a judge. It's Jesse. Maybe his mom will hear about it and have a conversation with him and be like, hey, what you doing isn't right. But you also could have just sent her a text without putting literally the entire world in your group chat about your custody issues. There's nothing we could do to help you. What this does, you're trying to shame him. You're trying to turn public opinion against him. What you really don't want to do, seeing as how mad you were about your uh, child support payments being reduced, is have this mofo end up with no job so you get nothing. You're getting next to nothing now. You, you want less than that? I'm also going to imagine that part of the reason that Jesse is so adamant about having a seven and an eight year old go cross country four days every other week. I'm, I'm going to imagine that's because he needs to have time with the kids to lower his child support payments. If he wasn't seeing the kids at all, even because he was working on another coast, you can get away with that when you're married. You can't get away with that with two separate households. He probably had to pay more in child support. I'm going to imagine that's part of the reason that he's having the kids do that, because that shit makes no sense. But madame, you have to find a better way than involving the public in this shit. I understand you're angry. You're frustrated. I get it. Lord knows I get it. I promise you. You're venting. A bunch of strangers can tell you that you're in the right. I'll be one of them. You're in the right. What you're, what you're saying makes complete sense. We can't do nothing to change it, though. We can cheerlead you on. We can commiserate with you. We can pump up your ego. But beyond that, we can't help you. You may need a better lawyer or a different judge. I, we can't help you with that either, sis. I wish them the best because... Five years of conflict, they both a mess right now. And the kids got to be too. There's no way your parents can be at each other's throats like this for years and years and years. And that doesn't take a toll on the kids too. I want the best for this family. And they are still family. Even though the parents are separated, they're still a family. They're having some co-parenting issues at the moment. But I hope they can get it together. Because this shit is it's ugly. It's ugly for it to be happening to them. But it's also ugly to watch it play out. I don't want to be involved in this shit. Get me out this group text. I don't and I don't I don't want to deal with this shit. I got my own goddamn problems. That's the episode for today. We'll be back next week. Um, next week is Global Citizen Week. There's so much going on in Accra. There's Global Citizen. There's also the uh, Black Star Film Festival, and there's so many people coming into the city and parties galore. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Next week's episodes they're gonna be late. 
I'm just telling y'all now. I'm probably gonna be hungover for most of them. I'll try to drink water and give you the best that I have to give, but I ain't missing no damn party. All right, have an excellent weekend. If you support Black Ariel, otherwise, I hope your weekend is trash. All right, bye.